This is the Made With Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about electroforming. My name is Beth Nguyen. I'm a painter, printmaker here at RISD. I'm a senior, um, so I'm just about to graduate. And I will be talking to Isabel Ganam, who is a grad printmaker here at RISD. And we'll be talking about the medium of electroforming. I began to take an interest myself in electroforming because of the additive process. Generally, in printmaking, you apply a subtractive process to the matrix you're working on. In the case of intaglio, your matrix is a copper plate, and that's uh, the majority of the printmaking that I do. So after you sort of work on the plate with whatever subtractive process, you apply ink to fill in the grooves that you've created, and you wipe the plate with a tarlatan. And a tarlatan is like a, a stiff cheesecloth that you have to sort of take the starch out of. And so the tarlatan removes the ink that resides on the sort of smoother parts of the plate, the parts that don't have marks or things taken out of it. And the ink that is left, it sits in those little valleys. And usually, if you are wiping it, maybe with this technique called hand wiping, you also might leave some plate tone, which is a sort of faint tone left on the plate after wiping. I think of this really fondly as evidence of the process. Intaglio is sort of my medium because of a connection I feel with it because of the sort of physicality of the copper plate, as well as the process by which it needs to go through in order to be run through a press. I think that this action is inevitably a conceptual one, and it is filled with memory and embedded in decimal marks. And when I talk to Isabel, who also goes by Isa, and I call her Isa throughout our conversation, we talk about the sort of physicality that the plate requires, especially like its significance to us. So I'm going to define electroforming first for us before I dive into our, my conversation with Isa, as well as the conversation we have about the artist that we sort of discussed together, whose name is Maria Phillips. So electroforming is the intricate process of fusing copper onto another medium, where a low voltage charge is passed through the materials to create a relief that becomes a separate part in its own right. And this allows artists to create thicker copper structures layered over materials like glass or wax or other metals. And so I took an interest in this medium because of the processes that I go through with intaglio, like dry point or using like a dental dremel to work into the plate. And this burr would form on the top of the plate and it always felt like it was temporary and that whenever it would get run through the press, it would sort of get pushed down because of the way that running something through a press literally pushes something down. And so I enjoyed it, but I was wondering if there were more maybe permanent solutions or ways in which we can use the copper plate or metal as an electroforming in general as a medium for creation of this kind of terrain. And so I also wanted to touch base first before I move to the interview with Isa about Maria Phillips, who is the artist that we talk about through our conversation. Um, So Maria Phillips is an artist and educator based in Seattle, Washington, born in St. Louis. She received her BA from Loyola University in New Orleans and her MFA from the University of Washington in Seattle. 
Her work is included in the collections of the Museum of Art and Design of New York, the Renwick Gallery, the Smithsonian American Art Museum, Tacoma Art Museum, and many more private collections. Her work has been published in The Art of Enameling, A Thousand Rings and Five Hundred Brooches, and The Penland Book of Jewelry, in which she wrote a chapter on the process of electroforming. And so she talks a lot about the love of materials in her practice, as well as the inherent meanings that they have and how they can be manipulated and subverted. And she uses a lot of steel in comparison to maybe me uh, or Issa. And um, as you'll also notice, we are in um, noisy Providence, Rhode Island. And so that the sound that... Uh, happens within the space uh you might hear in the back of our conversation i I hope that it is not too much of a distraction so i will move into that now would you like to introduce yourself sure my name is isa ganan um i am a grad student i'm a second year grad student in the printmaking program and um i do a lot of copper plate intaglio and that's where I met you so mm-hmm. and uh, I I come from a background of doing a lot of sculpture um, and ceramics and mold making um, but I've been fluctuating between the 2d and the 3d for a while now mm-hmm. and um, as well as embroidery and textiles and um, I really just I love tactility and I want to touch everything <laughs> And printmaking, if you're the more you're allowed to touch an image in the moments of making it and like, you know, hand wiping an intaglio plate, you know, like kind of like mixing the ink, feeling the ink on your hands. I mean, it's kind of like finger painting. You know what I mean? In well, a, that's, in a I feel way. like I remember meeting you for the first time in the intaglio studio and I was watching you like print like the same pink print over and over and over again Mm -hmm. and I was really confused about it and intrigued because (laughs) because I had never done like color intaglio printing before either and it was like I just when I was in there and it was like my first time doing intaglio anyways I was like what is this person doing with all of these pink prints because you would just kind of keep making them. And I was like, I don't understand. Um, but that was my, like, introduction to you. And then we kind of met because you were a monitor in there. So I was like, I was like, this is really, like... Um, it was, like, a really interesting introduction, but also kind of, like... I feel like was a <laughs> really funny time for you also. Yeah, it was... I was working through a lot at that time. <laughs> I kind of... It was a combination of a couple things. One was I hadn't uh, been able to do intaglio in two years. Um, I love printing, so my brain just kind of like, I just lost my mind. Yeah. Um, it was the first time I had seen a, a French wheel press, that big wheel on mm-hmm. the small press. I like, I was in love with that press. I wanted to use it. And I also had never seen that hot of a magenta pink ink before or silver ink yeah I it was like I was in a candy shop like I I kind of lost it and I started to work on an installation project that I've never finished oh really Um, I never did not finish that 
project, but I still have all the prints and I still want to use them for something. Yeah. Um, How many did you make? Two hundred over two hundred fifty. Wow. Yeah, is <laughs> it was stupid. <laughs> it was kind of funny, but and also at the same time, I um, was introduced to the toner transfer etching technique. Yeah. And I was looking at the skin on my hands under a microscope in the nature lab. And I was taking pictures of it. Yeah. And that first toner transfer I did here was uh, an, was an image of the skin on my hands. Each little plate was. So I think I was also just figuring out how to wipe that because yeah. I came from a place of really basic intaglio techniques. And yeah. I was like, I was just like stretching. I don't know. I feel like my first semester was like me stretching and then like getting used to. Yeah. Getting used to. Like warming the up. Vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so yeah. like, how did your, so you did undergrad in, in sculpture, right? It was a really small program, so it was just yeah. studio art, but I took a lot of like printmaking, like not a lot of printmaking courses because there were only two. It was like beginner and advanced and that was it. And okay. each class was just like everything. It was, oh, it was only intaglio and relief, nothing else. So yeah, nothing like intensely intaglio no but i did a lot of uh ceramics and mold making oh cool okay yeah so there was a big sculpture emphasis mm -hmm. yeah so how did like coming to printmaking how did like your sculpture background influence your intaglio besides like the touch and the like want to like get your hands in everything the dimensionality mm -hmm. of printed work it I mean, I love screen printing on fabric, mm -hmm. um, but screen printing on paper or like lithography, although like those are things that I will utilize yeah. if I really want to, they don't kind of like, they don't create that like level of desire for me as Intaglio does because of the embossment. Yeah. Um, the embossment and then the way that the ink like soaks into the paper, for me that that is sculpture mm -hmm. and like... I'm kind of just obsessed with like the idea of like hum like just kind of like the the trace like something leaving its trace. Yeah. And like as a three-dimensional mammal like <laughs> like I I I think that like for me I don't know if this is going to make sense but the most honest trace I can leave is one that would have an embossment. Yeah. Like because I'm dimensional so it's I feel like it's more of an honest rendition of myself too yeah yeah that's so strange to say out loud but yeah it's a really like it makes a lot of sense to me about like why you kind of like went to intaglio as a medium because i feel like i mean printmaking itself is kind of like a is inevitably like a process-based practice but also like um the whole idea of like pushing a piece of paper against something else to like that has to me at least like a lot of like memory and a lot of like indexical mark like is like oh like my hand goes here and so you can kind of see that in the like final product and I think mm -hmm. when I think about like my painting practice it's sometimes harder to see that kind of like um like material being so evident of like the process mm -hmm. so I really like the way you're talking about that mm -hmm. um and I think like 
I guess I just wanted to also talk about, like, what, like, actually moving into the material now Mm -hmm. is, like, what brought you to electroforming as well as, like, if you want to give, like, a short explanation about, like, how it's done here specifically at RISD because I don't know if it's done differently at other places, but... Yeah. So, I guess just to preface, when I was an undergrad, uh, my sculpture professor, because I would always bring her my intaglio plates... (laughs) And she would make fun of me. And she would go, oh, you're going to become one of those printmakers who's obsessed with their plates. <laughs> like, it was a bad thing, right? Yeah. But she was judgmental in general. Okay, okay. So her, her modality of love was, like, was like snarky comments. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, so, I was like, oh, whatever. Um, so, coming here, I knew I didn't want to use resin anymore. Um, I was kind of... Where did that, like, shift come from? Was it... I had, a, like, kind of a panic attack. Oh, my undergrad. goodness. Yeah, I had a panic attack. Like, some got on my skin. Oh, my God. And then, yeah. like, also, it was a combination of that. And then also, I I was just naive because the same professor that I just spoke of, like, she introduced me to resin. She was like, you would really like resin. Like, you like these, like, shimmery, iridescent qualities yeah. in your objects. Like, that's what you're trying to do with your glazes, but your glazes get muddy sometimes because mm. you're trying to do too much. And, um... Then when I had kind of finished all my resin work in undergrad, she was like, she somehow mentioned to me like, oh, these will last for like hundreds of years. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, can I swear? Yeah. Okay. I think you can swear. (laughs) I was like, I was like, fuck. (laughs) I mean, think about when, you know, humans are done. Yeah. Or whatever, maybe just the next civilization of human pops up again. Let's say like whatever. Mesopotamia comes again. Yes. <laughs> and um, they find, well, they're going to have a lot of weird stuff. Find, they're going to find plastic forks and all of that. Yes. <laughs> they're going to dig up, like, weird, like, I was like, what would people think of these resin objects? They'd be like, what is this? Yes. Like, it wouldn't make any sense. Like, I feel like it just, it just felt wrong. Yeah. Um, and also, I can't reuse it. No. Where with prints, mm-hmm. I can tear those prints up, mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, put it in a paper beater, yeah, beat it up, yeah. Even if it has ink on it, yeah, you can tear it up and reuse it mm-hmm. with metal. You can melt it down and mm-hmm. reuse it. Yeah. And those are materials you can have for the rest of your life if you don't sell them. Um, resin, you can't do that. I feel like there's a lot of pressure too to kind of like get it right the first time if you're doing something yeah. that. Also, like, lasts forever. Also, like, the amount of fumes that get released. I mean, intaglio is also kind of a wasteful practice, but it's, I don't know. Sometimes I'm, like, I think about, like, I kind of, like, look at my gloves, and I'm, like, this is kind of, like, a lot of, like, stuff (laughs) that we're, like, throwing away. But I think, like, the reusability of everything is something that I also really resonate with in my practice, I think. Like... Mm -hmm not wanting I don't know if it like for me is in relation to maybe like death or something like the death of a material like when when it like sets it's like kind of both done and dead at the same time because Mm -hmm. you can't like do anything with it after that um but maybe I'm just thinking a lot about death these days for some reason um but yeah I think I think like it's funny because I I remember like even in like the aqua tinting process of like intaglio with the rosin box. I under like I always 
watch you like mask up like fully. It looks oh, like yeah. you're like like a, a basically like one like tiptoe away from like a hazmat suit like in the Rosman. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean it's like I think like that also like wanting to sort of like preserve one's own body in the process of making is like a very big thing too. If you're also talking about the body yeah. and like leaving your mark, like it seems like the whole like even the way you were talking about like wanting to leave your mark is not one that like will last for like like until after the last human dies and then after like yeah that whole idea is like i think like it's very understandable as to why you you didn't want to use resin anymore yeah well the artist that made me want to be an artist when i was like 16 was nikki de saint fal do you know who she is no she um is a french well she was a french american sculptor and uh-huh. illustrator but she uh did a lot of really cool mosaic sculpture work um but she died from her use of fiberglass oh yeah. um and even when they told her like hey you know you're not it's not good she kept using it until like literally her death mm. and i just feel like i just don't want to do that like I, I think the narrative of like artists dying because of the materials they're working with is just it just needs to stop. And like the pr- I think, but it's hard. like the like the Eve's Klein, like yeah, the it, blue, like dying for blue, like not. I don't think that we need that no. to do that, and we also have the knowledge to not do that. Exactly. So we might as well keep ourselves from that. And it's also kind of a romanticized thing. Exactly. It's like it's actually maybe that. entirely a romanticized thing where it's like. Are you willing to die for your work? It's yeah, like, like it's well, a measure of your commitment. No, yeah, it's not, you know? yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is interesting because I actually, although I love electroforming, mm-hmm. I don't see myself doing it anymore. Oh, really? Because of this, a similar reason. Um, I still really love it as a medium, and I like. I guess I'll, I'll say like I don't have the desire at this point to set up a bath for myself. Yeah, an acid bath. Whereas for intaglio, I would because even though it's it's um, you know an acid, it's uh, ferric is more of an organic compound. Yeah, um, and um, the brightener and the leveler in electroforming is very inorganic. I mean, it's literally like electric blue. <laughs> I don't even know what brightener and leveler is. I just know those were the names on the extremely hazardous bottles that I had to yeah. get back into the bath and replenish the levels with. But. Um, with ferric, you just have to make sure you have a good waste management system. It's all about the pipes and the plumbing and all of that. Um, but last summer, I actually went to uh, like a craft fair in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I spoke to a jeweler there. And um, I was like, oh, I don't really make jewelry per se, but I really like jewelry techniques. And yeah. he asked me what I was doing, and I told him electroforming. And the way he looked at me was like I had said that I like do cartwheels like in the middle of a volcano. Like, oh, my he, God. He, he was like, mm-mm. He was like, that stuff's, that's, he said it's not even good to be like within distance to. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know how true. I don't know. But my feeling <laughs> is that he either knew someone or. Yeah. I don't know. Um. I mean, it also depends on levels of, your levels of care. So when I was doing electroforming, I was like, long sleeves, long pants. Yeah. uh, Hair tied up. Yeah. I see people in Intaglio here at RISD, no gloves, touching ground. And I'm like, you do not want that in your skin. Yes. 
you know? So it's safe practices. There's always ways to do safe practice. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, yeah. I just don't think electroforming would be a home process for me. No. A lot of art centers that used to have electroforming don't anymore because they don't want to have to deal with the level of care that waste management requires of yeah. them to obtain it and keep it. Um, but, I mean, it's really, like, an industrial... It's becoming... I don't know how common it is anymore in the industry of jewelry and in metalwork because a lot of jewelers in the jewelry department here, uh, they all, a lot of them, once they get to junior or senior year and the grad students, they all do Rhino, they all do 3D <laughs> modeling, and you just send, you can send your file to a caster online. Yeah. And you get it in two days. <laughs> and they just cast it like that. Yeah. You know? So you don't, I guess you don't need the other stuff yeah you just kind of... i mean there's probably a service where maybe they could electroform it for you too if you want it to be lighter because mm -hmm. um, let's say someone wants something uh, a gold pendant a lot of the times if they're going to electroform it they'll electroform it in copper and then they'll uh do actually i don't know if they can electroform gold but i know silver silver plating is very common but they use actually use okay. a bit of nitric acid for that process which is yeah. even worse like nitric is also what you use to etch zinc in in, in intaglio Nitric is like the moment you get it on your skin, you feel burning. Oh, it's God. really bad. I've noticed that in the painting department too. Mm -hmm. Is like if somebody is painting, especially like oil paint, which is like just, you know, like linseed oil, not like cured at all in any yeah. way. Like one of my peers like paints on cardboard with oil paint or like. Even though they, like, treat the surface and everything, the conversation kind of always goes back to, like, how long... I, I keep, like, they're, they always, in critique, kind of say, like, well, like, what I keep thinking about is just how long is this going to last? Mm. Or, like, I keep focusing on, like, how um, this is just going to disappear in a few years or whatever. And so that's always, like, a big topic in art and in... Especially, like, in the fine arts, I think, specifically. Yeah. It's, like, how to leave your self in this world mm -hmm. which is well, a big thing I think at the same time there's a one of my cohort members um, is um, super into like everything kind of degrading and decomposing and I always tell her I was like you're a gardener I was like you're <laughs> a gardener before you're even an artist yes because she's been growing mushrooms in her studio and like that's we have so many flies because <laughs> we share a studio no and it's very it's entertaining though okay but i um you know for her it's like no one questions it um and everyone's like take great photos take great photos hmm. and something i've actually never said to her because i think this is a this is a conversation for everyone because I, I never really wanted to pinpoint it at her is sure is um a lot of the times it, and i feel this too like feels like sometimes I'm just making things to, to take a really bomb-ass photo and then upload it to the internet, and then that's it, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, so I'll, I'll archive it, but it'll decompose. But what is the archive? It's, a, it's hardware that's made of, like, crazy toxic shit because of the rechargeable battery. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to talk about the mining, the mining for metals, we should talk about the mining that they do for the rechargeable battery. Oh, um, is, um... I can't remember the material Is right it lithium? Now. Lithium is one of them. There's another one. There's another one. Um, and it's kind of coming up in conversation now. But it's 
I mean, the arc, the archive itself, everyone's like the digital archive, right? Yeah. Our hardware is, I mean, the amount of people dying from health conditions, from the mining of the hardware of computers, laptops, cell phones, yeah. is astounding. There's a student in printmaking, um, Emily Van Heusen, I think, mm -hmm. um, who she's been making work about the environment. She's been doing all these monotypes with plastic bags, and she collects trash to yeah. make like, monotypes and holographs. And um, I told her, I was like, you're doing one of the hardest things, <laughs> which is talking about the environment through making art, when in reality, if you get to the end of that process, the answer is don't make anymore. Yeah. And um, it's funny because Maria Phillips, I haven't seen much on her website lately. And the last work that's on her like website homepage is a lot about like you know stuff that she's found like trash and dumpsters and yeah. like, environmental stuff. And it's really interesting that she came from a place of electroforming because I almost think that maybe she had a similar instance. I would assume she had a similar instance with electroforming that I had with resin. Um, but, of, but like I noticed that yeah. that she's talking a lot about plastic and mm -hmm. the environment as well mm -hmm. and then and then at the same time has like these electroformed pieces literally like wrote pieces about electroforming in like jewelry magazines and stuff mm -hmm. um, and so there's like some kind of, but I mean like I wonder kind of about the trajectory of that like maybe it's sort of similar to you where it's like um, you kind of get really into this process and then you realize but you but you still have like archived photos of the work and you you don't want to throw away the work either because it was like that would also be really wasteful to like yeah. throw away something or to like like um completely like I mean I think like part of it maybe like melting it down was always something was something you talked about earlier but like when you make something and you kind of have it already like making work there's something like I it's it's a hard conversation because I I always kind of think about this too like um like what's worth it to make work in like about or like what is worth like really investing your time into and like being sensitive to the wastefulness of materials like I work in acrylic paint and like that's not the best thing for the the earth either or like there's mm -hmm. a lot of things that um we do in our practices like um, that are pretty harmful and you want to be sort of like guiltless in it in the end but it you can't be like like I think that it's kind of impossible to have an artistic practice maybe like that's too much of an absolute but like um having like a really purist approach to like wanting to make things that are like super environmentally friendly is almost like not possible and I don't think that we need to aspire to it either because I think that there is like and I, I struggle to find words around it because I don't want to say words like value or merit or anything mm -hmm. like around like how important it is to make work or even like important like there are people who just make work and like they don't know about the importance of the work and things like that so I think like it is a constant struggle for me too about like what making work even means because sometimes you make the work and then you just roll it up yeah. and you put it in a tube and you're like work all right that's that's it and now you used all these materials and you're like well 
there's also kind of the want to just continue making. Like, there's a lot of joy in making, and there's a lot of, like, wonderful things in making and finding community with makers. And so, like, that, I think, is also really wonderful. And I, I think I still really want to, like, understand that, like, part of... I don't want to say making again, but, like, making and being an artist... Well, being a human is a ah uh, yes ah uh, <laughs> so yes regardless, like, regardless if like, you're making art or not if and if you're in modern civilization if you're not like if you're if you're in the world in that way in a, in a modern way like there's no way to walk through the world without some sense of guilt and I I think that making physically for artists actually makes us more at least makes me more aware of how much I'm using, what I'm using, and why. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, like, 18, I uh, went to um, the undergrad senior show at SAIC, and um, I saw this piece that was a, just a VR headset, and I had never put a VR headset on in my uh-huh. life. And I put it on, and I was really into, like, immersive installation at yeah. the time. And I still am, um, and I put on the VR headset, and I, like, I think the first time you, have you, you, have you put a VR headset on? Yeah. Do you remember your first time? Uh, I think it was, like, at Mass Mocha when I was mm-hmm. a freshman. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, I, I thought, like, I was just, oh my god. I mean, I had an, ex- <laughs> I took the headset off, and I just sat on a bench, and I had an existential crisis, mm-hmm. and my professor came over to me, because he took us as a class to go see this show and he was like what's up and I said I I think I've been doing the wrong thing oh and he was like what and I was like I could just put on that VR headset and he's like oh all VR looks the same <laughs> he's like he's like they all look oh the yeah same. I, I, but whatever you know that's his opinion and yeah the technology has gotten better but I was like what if that's the way to go it's like non-physical non-physical if you were mm. to give every artist a VR headset the amount of like material and, and the toxic mining that would have to occur for every artist to have a laptop and a VR headset mm-hmm. is insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is also um, the aspect of, like, some people don't know how harmful things can be to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, even if even if they are, you know, even if you say, like, I'm going to cure resin in this room, are you okay with it? They might not know the amount of danger that they're putting themselves in even if they say yes and so there's that also it's like you don't want to do unintentional harm either like you don't even if it's like quote-unquote consent and I think like that's always important it's also like some of us don't know how harmful some things are to our bodies or how permeable our bodies are and I don't want to just like go on using that word all the time but I how did you feel about like I remember kind of like, I guess to bring it a little bit back to electroforming specifically, but how did you feel about making like a huge electroformed piece that you were, that we've, we've talked about before, but not like in this space. Do you want to describe the project? Yeah. So what I did is, um, I did all of my electroform pieces of wax. A lot of people will do 3D printed resin Mm -hmm. and then they'll coat it with this, um, copper paint that has copper particles in it called DAG. Okay. Um, it's copper and some other things. It's just like extremely metallic and kind of just acts as like 
a magnet and it's your object that you put in the bath is your cathode and then you put these long shafts of what is a cathode I actually don't know the definition. Okay, the let's look it up. <laughs> it's like positive, negative. Charge. Okay, okay, okay. So the, there's these two long metal. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's just the negatively charged electrode, mm-hmm. and then you the sort of put it. In the positive is okay. the cathodes on the I side see. of the bath. Okay. Mm. So uh, what I did is I I took a bunch of wax, um, melted it into like little like ice cube trays, <laughs> and then used those as like my building blocks for yes. this form. Which was so it was basically just a combination of carved wax and uh, copper wire. Mm-hmm. Coated it in this uh, dag, and then um, put it in the bath. I mean, the thing is with electroforming, I'm not so concerned about using too much material. Hmm. It's more so being around the acid for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. I. I'm not so, and I I think it would be a long period of time. I'm not so worried. I'm not worried about myself or even the jewelry students who spend four years here. I'm more worried about the the jewelry tech who is office doors right outside. Mm -hmm. And um, is so, I think it's important that even if you're really used to a practice, Mm -hmm. to not get too relaxed around it. Yeah. Um, Because sometimes he'll go into the electroforming room and he'll touch something with no gloves on. Like, he'll pull something out of the acid bath with no gloves on. He won't touch the acid. Yeah. But the acid crystals are everywhere. Because sometimes the acid will... Is it not in the air? I don't know. We're not, we, don't, we don't have to wear a mask in there. Okay. Um, but we do wear gloves. But the acid, is, is, it's a crystal particle. It kind of becomes a crystal particle. The brightener and the leveler are liquid. But the crystals will kind of like crawl up the bath, like crawl up the uh-huh. cathodes and crawl up the uh, uh, the anode kind of hooks, and you have to brush it back down. And we use these little like clear like pool balls. I don't know what to call them. They're, little, <laughs> okay. they're like little clear balls that you put up on top of the acid bath to reduce the amount of um, uh, the amount of like liquid kind of evaporating into the air sure okay so it kind of does go into the air but but i was never told to wear a mask so it Uh must be Hmm. it must be okay i think it really just evaporates into the crystal particles that kind of crawl over Mm -hmm. the side you have to brush back in and get to dissolve (laughs) into the acid again Uh uh-huh um but i mean even in intaglio um older etchers used to be able to tell people still can cornelia can um uh, during my winter session class, someone left the sink on before class one day, and there was water spilling all over the floor. And, oh, yeah, that happens and, often. And I told Cornelia, and she came upstairs to make sure there wasn't it wasn't an acid acid leak, too. Mm-hmm. She takes her finger, dips it onto the puddle in the floor, puts it in her mouth. Oh, my goodness. And she says, oh, there's no acid. It's just water. But older actors, we used to do that. They used to dip their finger in the acid, taste it. They could tell what the pH level was. And they would adjust from there. Oh my god! The way it tasted, because it's a salt. Mm-hmm. And that's her generation, you know. Wow. And Brian's so used to electroforming, you know, that Ugh. he will. I mean, he's very careful. He'll put on gloves if he's actually going to put his hands in the bag. Yeah. But everything in there is probably coated with a little bit of dab. Yeah. You don't want metal particles from mm-hmm. the paint in your skin, and so I think even if, I mean. I would walk into the Intaglio studio with slippers and PJs on if I could, right? <laughs> but I'd still put gloves on, mm-hmm. right? 
Yeah. Don't, you never want to get too comfortable. Yeah. This is in your bedroom. No. And some people, I think, sometimes treat their studio like that, depending on what they're doing. Yes. And you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was more so... I actually felt really good about the material usage because I feel like I got a lot of material um, from just the anos building up my piece. Did you say it was like the largest piece that ever tried to electroform? In the jewelry department, yes. Oh my god. And that's why it took so long for it to build. <sighs> I don't know if it's like this the like ready to graduate mindset, but I think like uh, I've been thinking a lot about sustainability of practice in the time that I've worked, which it also has to do with like both like transportation of materials and like and like wanting to just be able to like like make sure that my practice is like all gonna stay together um or like to just continue making Mm -hmm. um I think like there which which I want for myself also is like I want there to be room to like breathe in in these spaces of like you're allowed to like and I I think I I think a lot about Andrew in these days because of the way that he's kind of like revered as like a master basically mm-hmm. like an old master like one of the greats um and like working with him specifically like makes me think a lot about like who is kind of like allowed those things mm-hmm. like who's allowed like to be seen as like someone who's working on their craft and like who really is like wants to reach towards mastery versus like someone who's like obsessed quote unquote with their copper plates you know there's like a really diff like there's a dissonance there I think but also like um, a sustainable practice, I think, for me, is one where I do get the room to sort of, like, breathe and, like, I don't want to say, like, reinvent myself because I don't think that we need to be, like, reinvented. I think that all we need to do is to continue to, like, listen to ourselves and our materials and, like, I think both of our practices are pretty based in materials. Yeah. Um, but, like, to be able to not feel so... Um, like when we pick a trajectory, it has to be the one. Like when we when we think when we make things about something, we don't have to like stick to that thing for the rest of our lives. Like we can just move and change as because we're like people. Like we we are able to just like like and the world changes every day. We're like people who breathe and move and like stretch and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so like I think that to me is something that I'm continuing to learn as I like begin the process of like exiting this space is like um wanting to give myself like a lot of room to to like if I need to like explore all those things like finding ways to do that yeah um and like believing that that is like where we should continue to go or like I should continue to do things Mm -hmm. um which is something that um is gonna probably be for the rest of my life yeah that mindset of like like, mm, I, I like that you talked about, like, wanting to, like, look at back at yourself and, like, kind of laugh. Because I think that that is, like, a, such a generous way to live. Like, just wanting to, like, be as generous with your, your past self as you are with, like, your current self. And I think that's a great place to be, like, graduating being like, okay, what, what can I realistically do on my own? Mm. Um, While also being a magpie. 
while also being a magpie. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, being a human is weird, and you have to be able to, like, I don't know. We're not perfect. No, no animal is, like, perfect, <laughs> you know? Um, we just have to try our best, you know? Should we cap it off there? Sure. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you for talking. To thank me. you for <laughs> thank you for being here. And I know we were, we started on a live performing, but I feel like there's it's not easy to stay there. Like and just talk about materials. I think like materials are so like ingrained in both of our practices to the point where like we can't just like act like one like one discussion is enough about yeah. like one thing. So and it's an important discussion because. I'll say this too, like, especially here at RISD, maybe you don't paint. Maybe in two years you're not painting. I know, yeah. You came in telling me you were doing ceramics. Oh, well, maybe. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you don't, it's hard here to be like, can I go use the kiln? <laughs> you know, like, no. You know what I mean? And so it's a very specific environment where there are other schools, you can kind of just float around. Mm. But then you become a master of none. Which is yes. a, which is a, which is problematic because then you don't get to have a deep material exploration. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important important to kind of like take at least a small chunk of time to like really zoom in and then zoom out and zoom in and zoom out. Mm. And um, the balance of both. Yeah, the balance yeah. of both. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>